Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Happy that you're here today and ready to study the Bible with us. Uh, most of your longtime viewers probably know exactly what we do here. I uh, wish we'd just get on with it and start answering questions. But we've always got a few new viewers, so let me explain quickly uh, that we take viewers' questions. There's a phone number and a website on the bottom of your screen. Use those any time to get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about. Uh, that's what this program does. A lot of religious TV programs uh, tell you what they think you ought to know, what you need to know. Uh, we kind of turn that around and ask you what you'd like to know. Uh, we hope you learn some about the Bible from answer, asking those kind of questions. So we're ready for your questions. Call them in or log on and give us one. We'll put it in our stack and get to it just as quickly as we can. And then we will answer them just as quickly as we can. And when I say we, I mean I'm Steve Tandy. Toby Levering's here. Hi, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Jeff Martin's back. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Steve. Glad you guys are here and studied up on some of these interesting questions. Uh, but we've always got one for our viewers first. So here's your question of the day. Uh, what king did King Saul allow to live against God's command. God told Saul to kill somebody, and uh, Saul disobeyed. He let him live. So what was his name? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. Toby gets to start us off and got a current question here. Yep, so. <laughs> uh, uh, very relevant to our culture today. Does the Bible say anything about premarital sex being wrong? Uh, yes, it does. has uh, a couple of verses that we'll look at. Uh, sex is not wrong in and of itself. Sex was created by God, but God created the sexual union between a male and female to be uh, uh, to exist within the covenant of marriage and only within that covenant. And it serves a very specific purpose. I mean, it's a good thing. It's it's a something that God had in mind when He. Uh, imagined the covenant of marriage. But outside of that covenant, it causes all sorts of problems, all sorts of difficulties. And so if you're, if you're engaging in sex uh, outside of the marriage covenant, uh, what you're doing is not what God had in mind. It won't be a blessing to you. In fact, it'll be a sin. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. This is not going to be on the screen, but I want you to write that verse down. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. The writer of Hebrews says this, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed, which was a, a phrase uh, to specifically reference the uh, sexual relationship between a husband and wife, let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So, very serious uh, situation concerning sexual immorality and specifically about premarital sex. Now, uh, I will say, if you're watching this and you've engaged in 
uh, premarital sex. I don't want you to think that's an unforgivable sin. It certainly is forgivable, as are all sins in Christ Jesus. You've got to repent of that. You've got to agree that it's sinful. You've got to stop that. <laughs> and then you need to, uh, of course, be in Christ to have your sins uh, washed away. Um, so there is hope in that, even if you've engaged in that activity. But we have to start by acknowledging that it is wrong according to what God says and uh, that God will judge that uh, that's, out, that's outside of what he had in mind for the marriage bed. One other scripture I'll give you, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, this will be on the screen, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So sexual immorality is a general umbrella term, it includes premarital sex, includes sex that is not between a man and woman, it includes all uh, other kinds of uh, things that include sexual activity, but it's outside of what God had in mind. And the scripture is very clear. Just flee from that and keep sex between husband and wife uh, in the covenant of marriage. Hope that helps. Good answer. <clears throat> it seems like we're living in a time where people try to change what the Word of God says or yeah. try to prove that it's not actually in That's the right. Bible, yeah. uh, especially but, with things but, like but that. Me, they, I just yes. read in the Wall Street Journal the other day, a big study, um, <clears throat> and basically it started out that people today in general uh, think you ought to wait till your 30s to get married, have some life experiences, and the, it'll be better if you cohabit first, if yeah. you live with somebody before you marry them uh, so you'll know them better and all that. Yeah, that's kind of the prevailing attitude in the world today. And this study went on for years and studied all sorts of people and who got divorced and all that. Anyhow, what they found out was the most successful marriages are people who are married in their 20s and have not cohabited before they got married. So statistics don't prove the Word of God. <laughs> the Word of God's right, whatever that's statistics right. say. Right. but. When you look at things like that, God knew what He was talking about. Mm. You know, it yeah. was was very interesting. Look, to those me. people could have saved a lot of time by just reading the Bible. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, they ought to have a TV program where people answer questions about the Bible, just so people could know that. Be a good idea. Absolutely. I've got I've got another one here. A viewer wants to know what is the difference between a Jew and a Christian. There are some big differences between Jews and Christians. There are also some big similarities. Uh, but the main difference comes down to to one specific thing, and that is Jesus Christ. Uh, Judaism often recognizes Jesus as a good teacher uh, and even as a prophet, but it does not recognize Jesus as the prophesied Messiah or the Son of God. It does not recognize the, the deity of Christ. Um, and Christians, on the other hand, believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah and is the Son of God. So that's a huge difference. And, and Jews, of course, are still waiting for that prophesied Messiah to come. Uh, you can learn a lot about the Jewish religion by reading the, the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, uh, even more specifically the first five books. Uh, Christians, on the other hand, take the Bible as a whole, uh, especially including the fulfillment of God's uh, plan in the person of Jesus Christ, in his life and his death and burial and resurrection in the New Testament. Uh, let's look at one of our foundational beliefs in Romans 5, 6 through 8. 
You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So again, the main difference, and this is a, a huge difference, this is a, a, a gigantic difference, is the deity uh, and, and the messianic qualities of Jesus Christ. Um, that's, that's where the, the two religions differ greatly. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. All right, I've got a question that uh, could take a long time, so I'm actually going to divide it in two. But uh, the viewer says, if God never gives you more than you can handle, why do people take their lives? Uh, well, it's a good question. Uh, and we've all heard that God never gives you more than you can handle. And if that's true, uh, why doesn't everybody just handle things? Uh, why would anybody uh, decide they can't handle it and give up and take their own life? So excellent question, uh, but it's really two different questions. So I'm going to get to the second part later in the show. But for time's sake, I'm just going to deal with the first part. Uh, if God never gives you more than you can handle. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that. Now, I know the Bible says something close to that. Uh, the Bible says that we, he won't allow us to be tempted more than we can bear. And that's talking about temptations, about the Satan's influence and the things that he throws out in front of us. And God says that he will limit that, that he will keep Satan from going beyond what we can bear. And that's a wonderful promise. That's an excellent promise because that means God knows each of us individually. Uh, he knows what we can bear. He knows what our temptations are. And he will stop Satan before he reaches that limit. And the rest of that promise is that he'll always provide a way out for us. Okay. Uh, that's talking about temptations and being able to resist them and all that. But what our viewer quoted is an old saying, uh, God will never give you more than you can handle, which isn't true by the Bible. Uh, sometimes God allows the world to give us more than we can handle. And my reasoning for saying that is what Paul said about his trials, about his experiences in life. And if you read Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, let's look at that together. Uh, Paul just listed all of his trials, or some of them, and he said, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Okay, so Paul said here, uh, God allowed these things to happen in our life and it was more than I could handle now, I thought I was going to die <laughs> is what Paul says in our terminology now he goes on to explain and let's read the, the next verse there He says, or the last part of verse 9 he says but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead he's delivered us from such deadly peril. Okay, so Paul says, uh, it got where I couldn't handle it, but it forced me to rely on God. So to just stop at the first part and say God doesn't allow us 
more than we can handle uh, is not technically true. He does sometimes let the, sometimes the world just pours it on. Uh, we all know people who, if we look at their lives and the bad things that have happened, the worldly things, that, uh, sickness and illness and death and accidents and uh, losing jobs and just all piled on at once. And we think, man, I couldn't handle that. Uh, that's where Paul was. He said, the world has piled so much on me, uh, I don't think I can handle it, but i got to rely on God. So, first part. Not technically true. Uh, God does sometimes uh, allow more than we can personally handle. Now, the second part, why do people take their lives? We'll get to that after a few more questions and uh, see if we can figure that part out. All right, uh, time to talk about studying the Bible. So let's do that. Uh, I know some of our viewers are real good Bible students. Some of you need to get started in that, or maybe you want to get started in that, but don't know how to start. Uh, we've got some tools that we think are a pretty good way to study the Bible. And here's a set of lessons. There's eight in it, and you'll notice the first one's about the Old Testament. second one's about the New Testament. you got to know that to get started. You understand the difference there, then you can uh, kind of begin to understand the Bible. We've got other courses that are about the life of Jesus, about uh, where the Bible came from, about all kinds of interesting things that you'll enjoy learning about the Bible. And we've got some online courses that we're happy to provide for you. If you just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org, uh, they'll sign you up and you can begin studying the Bible today on your uh, device and don't have to wait for the mail or any of that. So lots of ways to study the Bible. If you'd like that print course, use that phone number or the website at the bottom of the screen. We'll get it started for you. If you'd like an online course, just log on yourself, oneway.worldbibleschool.org, and uh, start studying the Bible, and then pretty quickly you'll know a little bit more about your Bible. All right, I think Toby's up next. Yes, a viewer wants to know, how do you know you've been born again? Uh, this issue came up with a question from a, a man who was very educated. His name was Nicodemus. He came to see Jesus, and he was curious about this man that everyone had been talking about. And he said, uh, this is found in John chapter 3, by the way, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, uh, for no one can do these signs unless, unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay. Well, uh, how do you, the, the viewer asks this question, well, how do you know when that's happened? Uh, some of you hear the phrase born-again Christians, or people say, I've been born again. Well, how do you know when that ha it has happened? Nicodemus asked sort of the same question. He said to Jesus, uh, he said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Uh, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you that you must be born again. So uh, he says, Nicodemus asked a good question. Well, how do you do this? What does this involve? Because uh, I've been born once. Everybody knows that. But how are you born again? And Jesus says, well, um, you got to be born of the water and the spirit. 
And so, uh, well, how do we do that? Let's uh, look at another scripture. It's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you just hold that verse on there for just a second, we see here in this verse exactly what Jesus talked about, being born of the water and the Spirit. And so the answer to the question is, how do you know you've been born again, is have you done what Peter said to do? Have you repented, been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? And if you've done that, the promise is that you will receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right. And uh, Jesus promised, said the same thing in Mark 16, 16. You had to believe and be baptized to be saved. So the answer is, how do you know you've been born again? My, my question back to you is, have you been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? If you have, then you've been born again. I hope that helps. All right. It's an important answer, an important question. Um, I've got a viewer that... <clears throat> says, I'm confused how the Ten Commandments can say, Thou shalt not kill, then God commands acts of killing. Uh, And I've actually heard this sentiment from a few atheists that I've had conversations with, and I think I know where the viewer is going with this, and it seems like God is contradicting himself. So let's take a look at this a little bit deeper. Uh, The King James Version of the Bible, um, when listing the Sixth Commandment, and this is in Exodus 20.13 and Deuteronomy 5.17, which won't be on your screen, uh, says, thou shalt, not, thou shalt not kill, which seems very obvious. seems like a broad statement that Christians, um, or in that case Jews, should not take life um, with no exceptions. But when we look at the other translations, the more literal translations, and uh, murder is in the place of kill. Uh, And then we get a very different view of that command. Instead of thou shalt not kill, it's thou shalt not murder. Uh, That makes things different, especially when we find, uh, like the viewer said, places in the Bible where God condones execution or war or or killing. Um, In this case, I'm sure the viewer would then ask, okay, so why does God still do that? Why does God do these things? So let's look at that too. Uh, We have to be really careful when we ask questions about why God is the way He is or why God does what He does. So let's look at um, a description of God in Psalm 7, 11 through 12 together. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays His wrath every day. If He does not relent, He will sharpen His sword, He will bend and string His bow. Uh, So kind of a rough verse here when we're talking about who God is. Uh, but, but nowadays what we like to do is we like to make God in the image that we think he should be, which is basically making up an idol for yourself. Uh, when we talk about God as loving and as caring, we like that. We even take it a step further, and we like God to be accepting of things that God calls sin. Uh, and we create God in our image, and we, we start to look at him in a way that, that makes us feel good or makes God more palatable to other people. Uh, This verse shows us something different. An important thing to remember when we question God is, number one, we're not God. He is. Uh, But also, we cannot begin to fathom the wisdom and understanding and power of God. Um, It also bears mentioning that God is not showing His wrath 
to innocent people. Uh, in many cases in the Bible, we see what God does to people who hurt his people uh, or, who, or who sin against him. And, it's, and God does those things in response to them. Uh, and none of those people are without cause when incurring the wrath of God. In Romans 3.23, uh, we can look at that. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all deserving of the wrath of God. We are all deserving of death. Uh, and if you look at this picture of God and it bothers you, one thing to remember is that's why the good news is so good. That's why it's so important to understand the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All right, let me finish up that question I had earlier. And the whole question was, if God never gives you more than you can handle, uh, why do people take their lives? And we dealt earlier in the show with the fact that God sometimes does allow the world to give us more than we can handle. Uh, and that forces us to rely on him to, to get through it. Now, Having said that, some people say, okay, well, then suicides or people taking their own lives, uh, you're saying that they just didn't trust God enough. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying uh, the first part of the question has been answered. Now we're going to say, okay, why do people take their lives, having understood that? Uh, of course, some people don't have God to rely on, so that might be part of the answer. But uh, I think I will go a little bit further and say, uh, from my experience uh, with a few suicides, I've never seen one where the person was what I would define in their right mind. Now, I know they were functioning, some of them, they, they seemed okay, they, we knew they had some struggles, but uh, bottom, deep down, bottom line, they weren't in their right mind. The first rule of human instinct or the first human instinct is self-preservation. Uh, if you're thinking right and all that, uh, you protect your own life. Uh, people who take their lives uh, somehow have decided, no, they don't want to do that. They want to end their lives. And in my experience, there's always something else there. Uh, sometimes it's a, a chemical abuse, uh, a, an addiction of some sort that changes a person's mind. Uh, sometimes it's a trauma, uh, a physical trauma, an emotional trauma, uh, a mental injury of some sort. Uh, we read in the papers that a, a lot more uh, soldiers these days uh, come back from seeing things that humans wouldn't have to see and have post-traumatic stress. Uh, many of them end up taking their own lives. There's something else there uh, beyond being in their right mind. Now, the good news is God knows our minds perfectly. He, he knows what's wrong. He knows what uh, problems there are there. He will judge perfectly, justly. Uh, I believe it is a grievous error to to talk about uh, suicide not being able to go to heaven and that's an old doctrine uh, where people think well suicide self-murder and you don't get to repent uh, I think that's a cruel and uh, very unwise thing to th even think about uh, I believe God will handle uh, even suicides perfectly justly uh, and my answer is why do people take their own lives I think there's something wrong there uh, they're not in their right mind. So hope that 
helps understand that a little bit. Let me invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. We're uh, sponsored and kept on the air by Churches of Christ. We like to mention some uh, today. This is the home church of Know Your Bible. If you happen to be in the Wichita, Kansas area, just go up North Meridian toward Valley Center, and you'll find uh, Northside Church of Christ. Uh, you'll find all three of us there probably. Uh, and uh, we'd be always happy to meet uh, viewers that uh, drop in and see us. You'd find a group of people that uh, are, would warmly welcome you, a great group of people that have lots of opportunities to serve God and worship together. So come see us at the Northside Church of Christ or whatever viewing area you're in. Uh, drop into a Church of Christ. Tell them you heard about them here on Know Your Bible. All right, Toby, you got one. Yeah, a viewer asked the question about communion. Do you have to be a church member to take communion? And my answer to that is, well, it depends on the church. Uh, different churches practice different types of communion. The general uh, terminology we'll use is open communion versus closed communion. The difference being in open communion, you, it's generally offered, and you decide whether or not you partake of it or not. Closed communion, when the church decides whether you're going to partake or not. So uh, at Northside, you know, if you visited there like Steve invited you to do, uh, we'll offer communion. And uh, it's open. You know, people decide for themselves. Uh, now, I will say I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense if you are partaking of communion and you're not in the body of Christ, that you haven't been um, professed faith in Christ and been baptized uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. And, you know, if you haven't done that and, and agree to, you know, following Christ and being a part of his body, Communion really wouldn't make a lot of sense, so you should give thought to it when when commun communion is open. But there are some churches that say they they make that decision, um, and here's why it is important. We know that early Christians partook of it. We know it was a part of their weekly assembly. They did it on the first day of the week, uh, and let's look at one verse from First Corinthians chapter ten. Uh, Paul says, "The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break is it not a participation in the body?" of Christ. So give thought to it, an understanding that the bread and, and the, the cup are symbolic in its participation in the body of Christ. Okay, yeah, the Bible doesn't talk about who can and who can't, but yeah. I think the reason it doesn't talk about that is, you know, why would anybody that's not yeah. <laughs> a, yeah. a Christian or a member of the church, why would they want to take communion? Right, it makes sense. It yeah. doesn't mean anything to them. So, right. uh, the little that the Bible does talk about it is doing it in the right way yeah. and focusing your mind on yeah. when the, Bible the body talks of Christ about it, it and all that. It presumes you're already in Christ, so which is natural to do. So. <laughs> all right, let's uh, make sure we get our trivia question answered today. And I've got one about uh, an old story from 1 Samuel 15. Uh, what king did King Saul allow uh, to live against God's command? And that was old Agag, Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Uh, God told Saul to wipe out the Amalekites. And uh, Saul went in there and saved some of the livestock and uh, spared King Agag and uh, just took it upon himself to do that. You read the story in 1 Samuel 15. 
a little humorous, actually. Samuel shows up and uh, says, I think I hear some sheep in the background. How come you got livestock? So I'll say, well, the soldiers did that. It wasn't my fault. And <laughs> anyhow, Saul gets uh, kicked out as king because of that event. So a good story there in First Samuel 15. Glad you've been with us today and hope we got some of your questions answered. Uh, we're going to be back next week and answer some more of them. So we hope you can be back with us then. See if we get to your question. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.